We're going to be going into John chapter 16. So go ahead and find your place there. John 16. Y'all been working our way through this book for 50 weeks, okay? Counting a couple weeks where we didn't preach John because of other sermons. We've been in this book for over a year, and we're finally in chapter 16. Full stride, we're hopefully going to hit verses 4 through 15 today. And I know that you're going to be encouraged, y'all, because Jesus loves you, and his spirit is alive and active, and he speaks through this word. So if you're tired, I believe you're going to be encouraged and strengthened simply by hearing the word of God read and preached. Okay, so let's read this together. I want you to follow along as I read the passage for today. Then I want to work through it a little bit, verse by verse, and then offer just a challenge to each of you, okay? So let's look in John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. Jesus is saying here, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word. So the setting here, this is the night before Jesus Christ would die. So if Christ dies on a Friday morning, this is Thursday night. Judas has been sent away to betray Jesus. Jesus is looking not at 12 disciples, he's looking at 11 disciples. He's preparing them for suffering. He's preparing them for hostility and hatred and persecution. He's preparing them for him being removed as their guide and pointing to the helper, the Holy Spirit, the guide, the counselor that's going to come take his place spiritually where he was there physically. He's wanting to prepare them for these rough days. He's wanting to encourage them with these words in lieu of his absence to comfort them regarding the Holy Spirit and him coming to be with them. He loved these men and taught these men and led these men for over three years. Even this night, speaking of persecution, hatred, and hostility, this night Jesus would be arrested, beaten all night long, and hung up on a cross the next day. Hatred, hostility, and persecution. It's coming. He's wanting his men to know this. Look at verse 4. But I've said these things, these things of rough days are coming, boys. Hostility, yeah. Hatred, you can't imagine. Persecution, yeah. I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you, knowing that 
10 of these 11 men will be martyred, tortured, murdered. I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, the hour of this persecution, the timing of this persecution, hatred and hostility, that you'll remember these words that I've spoken to you. And I did not say these things, these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him, the father, who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow and grief has filled your hearts. You see, these 11 men were only thinking about their own fate. Their eyes were on the big picture, the mission of God, Jesus coming to save, to redeem, to prepare for himself a people forever to be with him in glory, in his glory, in celebrating him in his glory forever from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Their eyes weren't on this. Their eyes were on themselves. Their eyes were not on why Jesus Christ came, what his death means, and how it is such good news to celebrate. Their eyes were on the loss of losing Jesus. They can't see the, the wonderful truths that Jesus Christ is giving to them right here. They don't see that Jesus' death means life for them, that his losing, them losing of Christ is them gaining of God, gaining of glory, gaining of forgiveness of their sin, as we will see. He's sending them the promised comforter and helper, the Holy Spirit. The mission of God is going forth, and their eyes are only on what's right in front of them. The losing of Jesus physically, which I can understand. But he teaches them, and he says, nevertheless, you're grieving, you're sorrowful, you're upset that I'm leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And this is a phrase in the Greek that would really catch their attention. Okay? It's like... One of those things from your teacher. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. It's like Jesus saying, this is important. I, I want you to focus your mind on this. Not on what you were focusing on just now. Consider this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That I die on the cross. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is such love here that Christ is speaking to them. It's such love to save us through him going away, making us holy, preparing us for the Father. It's such love for him to send a helper, a holy, the Holy Spirit, to be within us as a comfort and guide. You see, the Holy Spirit could not be sent until Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Then the Spirit of God could dwell in them just as he dwelt in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, the temple, right? On the cross in Matthew 27, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and gives up his spirit. And then the veil is torn. And the Spirit of God is released. That veil was four inches thick of tightly knit cotton material, strands, skins, 
60 feet tall. The historian Josephus said that no horses could rip it apart. And when Christ gave up his spirit, the veil was torn that separated sinful humanity from the holy God. That veil was torn signifying that the sin problem that separated us has been taken care of in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So now he can come dwell, he can come tabernacle among us, he can come be with us because our sin problem has been handled. I can't send the comforter until I go away, but if I go away, I can send him to you. Your sin problem has to be dealt with first. Then the helper comes. This is such good news. And Jesus is unpacking such rich theology here about himself and the Holy Spirit of God and God the Father. You see, it was only through this personal, internal presence of the helper that the disciples would truly understand Jesus. They were limited in their own understanding apart from the Holy Spirit. Today, the same holds true. Without the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you remain ignorant regarding the things of God. Unless the Holy Spirit comes and guides you and teaches you in all the truth, you remain outside of this understanding. That should lead us to ask the Holy Spirit to come and inform us and teach us and guide us in all truth. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Come and help us. Come and teach us. Be my guide today. Because there's a whole lot I can't understand without you doing this. But here's what's happening here also. The new kingdom is being established by the death of Jesus and the releasing of the Spirit of God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Old Testament prophets spoke of this moment. Consider just one passage out of dozens. In Ezekiel chapter 36, be encouraged by the word of God. God is saying, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, preparing a people for himself. You see this? And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be very careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people. He's preparing for himself a people. And I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. This was spoken before. And Jesus says, I'm going to send this helper, this spirit, to you. Jesus and his leaving meant even more than the sending and the arrival of this helper. Follow me here. In them receiving the helper, that meant that their sin problem would be remedied by Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross. Him leaving them. Thus, releasing the Spirit of God to dwell in their hearts and lives. So for them to receive the Holy Spirit meant incredible things had to happen through Christ and his work on the cross. Regardless of how hard life would get, these men would be saved and they would never be alone. Never without comfort. Never without help. 
never without a true friend ever again. They will be filled with the powerful Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit that is Christ. Christians, we have that same Spirit in our lives today. For those who believe in Christ, you have the Spirit of truth living in you, you have the Helper. You aren't alone. No matter how hard life gets, you're not alone. There is someone, just as I learned once again this week, that is aware. Man, it was such a comfort for God just to show himself to me on this past Tuesday. Just to simply know that he was aware. That he's concerned and present. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed up in my life on Tuesday and put his arm around me and said, I'm with you. I got my eye on you. I know. I know. This is a comfort. This is what is considered to be the help of the helper. Look at verse 8. When he comes, when the helper comes, he will convict, expose, reveal the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he unpacks what these are. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I want to unpack these three things as briefly as I can. So here we have the work and the ministry of the helper, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is mentioning here is the ministry of conviction. Exposing is another word for this conviction here. Bringing to light. Bringing to knowledge. Awareness. The helper will convict the world concerning sin. The Spirit of God will convict the world concerning sin. It will reveal to people that they are in fact sinners, mainly because, specifically because, their unbelief and their apathy towards Jesus Christ them not acknowledging him as Messiah, as Savior, as Rescuer, as the promised one of God to deliver them, his people, to paradise, to his glory. The world doesn't believe Jesus. The Spirit must reveal Jesus to the world. The Spirit grants to us faith to believe Jesus. This faith is opposite, is antithetical to disbelief. If you believe Jesus this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus to you. If you do not believe Jesus, let your heart cry out to him today. Reveal yourself to me. Give me faith to believe you, to believe Jesus. Second thing that the Holy Spirit convicts is righteousness. You see, the world's idea of righteousness is very different from God's. And it's only when the world is convicted of their emptiness and worthlessness of its own righteousness, that it will appreciate the righteousness of Christ, which has been vindicated and proven sufficient by his exaltation back to his Father. You see that? Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer, that death didn't defeat him, that his work was sufficient. So our own righteousness, moralism, legalism, running to be religious or running away from religion to be irreligious. Self-justification. The world's best at righteousness convicted Jesus and found him guilty. 
The world doesn't understand true righteousness. There's a large difference between one's righteousness without Christ and one's righteousness with Christ. Essentially, the righteousness of this world will not save you. It only condemns you. And it's only the righteousness of Christ applied to your life that will save you. Jesus Christ came to earth as a missionary, as a rescuer, to redeem and save by living a perfect life because we can't. That's a problem. And he lived perfectly to take care of that. He was, in fact, our representative in his perfect life. And then he died for our sin, as Pastor Jacob was talking about in the opening scripture. He was our propitiation. He was our wrath bearer, the wrath absorber, the wrath that was sent from God towards the punishment of our sin. Jesus took that on himself as our substitute on the cross. Then he beats death, the greatest enemy, so that we have life. He does this for us. It's on the cross and through his death and through his resurrection that we are made righteous. That it's no longer our righteousness that gets us anywhere, but it's his righteousness that saves us. It's where Christ gives us his righteousness and takes our unrighteousness. Theologians consider this to be the great exchange. Where all that's bad in us is placed on Christ, on the cross and in his death. And all that's perfect in Christ, which is everything, is placed on us. You've been imputed the righteousness of Christ. You've been made and declared righteous. The Bible considers this to be justification. Just as if you've never sinned. Just as if you've always obeyed perfectly. Righteous. Holy. And unless you're holy, you can't see God. Unless you're holy, the Spirit of God cannot dwell in you. When Christ died on the cross, he released the Spirit of God to us. He convicts of righteousness. Thirdly, he convicts the world concerning judgment. Again, the world's judgment is wrong. It's based on the principles of the ruler of this world. But since their righteousness is condemned, this exposes the world's method of judging. The world is equally condemned with its ruler. Remember the passage that I cite often, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan here, the ruler that Jesus is talking about here in this verse, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the world. This is the world that Christ is referring to here. And it's following the ruler of this world. The world's judgment is wrong because the world's ruler is judged by Christ and found guilty and condemned. The world is guilty of this sin of disbelief. It's convicted on the very basis of Christ's righteousness and judged together with the supernatural ruler of this world, who is Satan. And this describes every single one of us in this room. And the only way to be saved from this just judgment is through Jesus Christ. And this is why we make much of Jesus. This is why we celebrate Jesus. The Spirit of God must reveal these things to us. And that's Christ's point. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They didn't have the Spirit of God yet to discern and know these things. 
Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. When the spirit of truth, when my spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The things that are to come is not like revelation. The things are still have yet to come for us. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Spirit of God descended upon the church and the church was formed. This is the things to come that he was referring to. Look at the closeness of this relationship between the Spirit and the ones who sends him. Do you see that? He will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. The Spirit's work is also to make much of Jesus. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Trinity, the triune God that we worship as Christians, is in full view here. The working of the Trinity is to cause people to see their sin, conviction, to see Jesus as their Savior, not their own works of righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. And they live in and through the power and the teaching and the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit, resulting in them glorifying God with their lives. One has a great advantage in receiving the Holy Spirit as guide. Yes, life is hard, and it's going to get worse, but I'm sending you a helper. Believer, we have such advantages in Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit and the Helper. It's to your advantage that He sends the Helper. He is, as we learn from this passage, a gift from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a gift to you in that He convicts you, He leads you into repentance and confession, both to God and to each other. He's a gift. He's a guide into truth. He gives you the ability to discern and know. He speaks from God. Our God is not silent. He speaks to you. And this becomes an advantage to the world because he says the world will be convicted of these things. This world is, this is an advantage to the world as we Christians live unto Christ each day, living dependent upon the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Christians are missionaries living as rescued ones in a land full of people needing to be rescued. But remember the words of Jesus before he ascended back to the Father. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. My Spirit is with you. I'm asking you to do something that's impossible, but my Spirit is with you. Life is going to be hard, but my Spirit is with you. He is there to help you, to empower you, to guide you. The task of being a missionary in Nashville is impossible on your own. That's your task. If you're a Christian, you live in Nashville, your task is to be a missionary in Nashville. And it's an impossible task. Don't go at it alone. Ask the helper to be with you. The task of being a Christian mom or a Christian dad, a Christian husband or a Christian wife, a Christian employee or a Christian employer is an impossible task on your own absolutely every time. Don't go at it alone. 
depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's there to help. Are you being taught and guided daily by the Holy Spirit of God? Or are you going at it alone? Life is hard, but we make it so much more difficult when we go at it alone and live as if the Holy Spirit, the helper, is not existing in our life. Life is tough. We make it a whole lot harder. The Holy Spirit is here to help. He's here to guide. He's here for you to lean on him. Consider Proverbs 3. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Don't lean on your own understanding. You're limited in what you can understand. Lean on the helper's understanding and insight and wisdom that he's going to give you as you're being changed into being more like Jesus. For the unbeliever here today, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the helper. And I would love for you to experience him and see him as helper and comforter in life. Receiving the helper from God personally is only possible as you see Jesus as the savior from your sin, as the remedy to your greatest problem, as the restorer of your broken relationship with God. That's what Jesus Christ was doing when he came to this earth. My prayer is that you would see him as this that you would call out to God this morning, reveal yourself to me, forgive me, give me faith to believe you. Who is Jesus to you? What has Jesus done for you? My prayer is that you will see him as Savior, the one who saves you from your sin. Dear friend, I would love for you to experience the joy of having your broken relationship with God repaired and restored, to know what it's like to have the loving arm of God around you, knowing that he's aware, knowing that he's there to help, that you're not living alone, that friends might desert you, that jobs may fail you, that cars will break down, houses will burn, but Jesus is with you through the power of his Holy Spirit, and that is sufficient. It really is sufficient. When health is taken, God is enough, and you know this through the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't go at it alone. The peace, the comfort, the love, the joy that you'll experience as you believe him and follow him and begin to abide in him. Christian, lean here. Surrender here. Be weak here. Be strong in the spirit of God. Lean heavily into him. See loss as these men were looking at losing so much, as such a gain in Christ. I want to pray for us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for not leaving us alone and abandoned, but Lord, sending us the helper. Lord, saving us and comforting us. Lord, would this resonate within our soul as we experience life that hurts? Lord, would you comfort us with these words this week? Would you save those who are apart from you? Lord, we love you and we thank you. Please speak to us.
would we see you as an advantage? In Christ's name, amen.